Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey folks, Kaiser here. We've got a new initiative at SupChina that I want to tell you about because I suspect many of our listeners are just the sort of people we want to get involved. And it's a chance for you China nerds to parlay your arcane knowledge into a little income. We've launched a consulting and expertise marketplace called SupChina Direct. The goal is to connect the best China-focused talent with the companies and organizations who need support for their China-related projects and initiatives. Think of us as the Airbnb of highly qualified, deeply experienced China professionals. We've already built out a pretty decent network, a couple of hundred independent consultants and boutique consulting firms. We're really looking for people who know healthcare, consumer and retail, macroeconomics, and of course, technology. And if your business is looking for experts in those or pretty much any other fields, for anything from market entry to due diligence to digital marketing to supply chain sourcing, just get in touch. So whether you're a subject area specialist who wants to pitch new clients, or if you're looking for just the right specialist yourself, go to www.subchina.direct and sign up today. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, the weekly discussion of current affairs in China, produced in partnership with SubChina. SubChina is simply the best way to keep on top of all the important news coming out of China. Our indispensable daily newsletter features a roundup of the news from hundreds of sources, plus links to our original writing on the website. Sign up for SubChina Access and you get all that and much more with stories on everything from the Belt and Road to local entrepreneurship and innovation in China. From the latest on the trade war to the ongoing extra-legal internment of hundreds of thousands or by some estimates well over a million Uyghurs and other Muslims in China's Xinjiang region. We sure you'll agree that it's a feast of business, political, and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. I am Kaiser Guo. I'm coming to you today from Washington, D.C., 30 years ago to this day, June 6th, 1989, I was actually riding on a train between the city of Baicheng, which is in western Jilin on the Inner Mongolia border, and the city of Chichihar in Heilongjiang province. I was uh, with my friends Ding Wu and Zhang Ju and my good friend Drew Sabo, who had been playing with all through college in a band. Uh, we were the first incarnation of the band Tang Dynasty and uh, had for the past few weeks divided our time between writing and rehearsing new material for a movie we were supposed to be cast in and of course, spending time on Tiananmen Guangchang, in Tiananmen Square, where the, the demonstrations were underway. We left Beijing on the morning of the 3rd of June, maybe about 14 hours before the first shooting started. And it wasn't until we arrived in the city of Qixihar in Heilongjiang province on the morning of June 7th that we actually knew that the stalemate that we had witnessed, with we, we had seen people out near where the, the, the third ring road is today, west of the Shangri-La Hotel, lying out in front of columns of APCs, 
with the troops still looking very unsure of themselves. And we thought that it was a stalemate. So I was really shocked when on the morning of the 7th, we arrived in Chichihar and found out that there had been horrendous violence. So uh, my guest today is someone I saw speaking in Tiananmen on a couple of occasions in May of 1989. I didn't know his name then, but I came to know who he was, along with much of the rest of the world, when he first took part in the televised student dialogue with Premier Li Peng. His name is Urkesh Dolet, but he's better known as Urkaishi. Uh, he was, of course, one of the founders of the Beijing Students Autonomous Federation. He was one of the instigators of the Tiananmen demonstrations. Uh, he helped to start that while he was a student at Beijing Normal University, a mere 21 years old. And he became, of course, one of the best-known student leaders of the Tiananmen protests of 89. And, of course, his student group was at the very core of that. We are delighted that, by chance, I was in D.C. Uh, when you were also in town for the Uy- Uyghur Con- Congress that's going on right now, right? Uh, so I'm very excited to talk to you, especially so close to the 30th anniversary of the June 4th massacre, uh, at a time when another issue, which is also close to your heart, the mass detention of Uyghurs in Xinjiang, is also on the minds of many people. So thank you for for coming. Thank you, Kaiser. I finally, uh, yeah, I'm looking for. I have been looking forward to have an opportunity to talk, to talk on your podcast <laughs> and then to meet you too. And uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate every possible channels to voice our, you know. Uh, ideas. Well, that's and, great. I'm glad we could do this. And thank you. Thank you. Also joining us is my very good friend, Nuri Turkel, who's been on the show a couple of times in the last year. Uh, I was having lunch with Nuri today when he mentioned that Uruk Haisi was in town. Uh, he reached out about a possible interview, and now here we are. So, Nuri, I, I asked you to join uh, so that the two of you can talk about the situation in Xinjiang, of course, but I also hope uh, that you're going to chime in and kind of act as a co-host here, yeah? Thank you. Yeah, I'll ask questions about Uruk Haisi and his life uh, uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, let me note that about 30 minutes before we started recording, I asked Twitter for some questions. Uh, I got some really good ones. I'm going to try to include some of those. So, but let me, let me start off with, to work I see here. What personally were your aims when you started off in the days just after Huiabang's death on April 15th? What, what did you hope to accomplish? The whole 80s, the, you know, if you remember, China is in the direction of opening up and reform, and that's what we really wanted. Mm-hmm. But the atmosphere in the campuses in you know, in Beijing at that time was uh, somewhat, in 1989, was some was uh, low, or despair, cynical. That's because uh, throughout 80s, every, oh, every single year, in the matter of fact, we, there were student demonstrations. We call it Xue Chao, student wing, mm-hmm. student movement, Wave student wave, that's, student that's, waves, yeah, sure. that's like the transliteration, and then uh, all the student waves is are, are aimed to do one thing to express our dissatisfaction of the speed or uh, of of the reform, uh, or also like the conservatism of the Communist Party that it wouldn't it wouldn't bring the reform into the political arena, uh, political domain. So uh, uh, I think 19... And, uh, let's also uh, rewind a little bit to ni- at the end of 1986, uh, the beginning of 1987, the, the mass student demonstration before 1989. Sure. That one was one of the biggest yeah. uh, of the student waves. Uh, uh, that Not just in Beijing, Shanghai as well. It started from Anhui, in the Anhui, matter of fact, right, and then Hefei, right. came uh, back to uh, Beijing immediately. Anhui being the uh, city... 
of a Chinese technology university mm-hmm. uh, where Huang Lijiu served as the vice president of the uh, of the university. The astrophysicist uh, who yes. some people call China Sakharov, right? True. And then, but also he is more, I think, his astrophysicist claim is in his field, but to, uh, to us, to the students, to the Chinese intelligentsia in the whole 80s, he is like one of the uh, founding a father for Chinese democratization initiations. Right. Like he in, he called for, he's the one who said, you know, we we need to import, we need to bring in Western technologies and investment, but we desperately need to bring in a new premier, which means we need a Western political system. We need like uh, ideas of uh, democracy, basically. So that uh, movement was suppressed, and that movement, uh, the suppression of that wave uh, have led to the cynicism, the the depression in uh, in, uh, 1989 campuses around the country. Uh, so when it was we, actually after those demonstrations that that Hu Yaobang was sacked. He was exactly, removed as general exactly, secretary. Exactly. Exactly. So Hu Yaobang, uh, general secretary uh, of the Chinese Communist Party, who have been believed uh, for a long time is a sympathizer of the uh, call for political reform. Uh, he, 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 a lot of people at the well, eighties is a is a time of a hopeful time in China. We have our despair. We also have our hope. And then Hu Yaobang is kind of a person that gives us that hope. Mm-hmm. Whereas other there are uh, there are other camps, there are other peoples like Hu Chaomu. Yeah, Hu Chaomu. If, if you remember, or, right. yeah, those people that represent the opposite. So uh, uh, when Hu Yaobang uh, died, uh, the atmosphere—it's it, his death. It's a—it's a—it's a you know spark drop into a gunpowder cake. So you can—it's uh, a very long answer to your short question. What were we aiming? You can—it's a consistent thing. So you were aiming just for a commitment for deepening reforms, basically. Based on yes, yes. Uh, if I if I have to answer the question in one sentence, that yeah. is that one question. But also, it's first of all the express of that despair, the the anger. All these things come in probably first before we can really think about. Okay, now we have expressed our anger, uh, but what do we really want? That question probably came in. A couple of days later. Ah, I see. Nuri, you were still in high school in 88, right? No, 89. I actually, I was, uh, I just started college. Uh, okay, so you were in Xi'an, and, right? Uh, I was in Urumqi, uh, oh, so taking Urumqi. my college prep courses, ah, uh, studying Chinese every day. Uh, this this period is very interesting and important period that uh, Urkesh was alluding earlier. In the 19, early 90s, uh, to the Uyghur people and other ethnic minorities, were kind of uh, period that the that their cultural uh, rights were respected, uh, social rights were respected, even though there was some level of uh, political repression was uh, widespread. But uh, the Uyghurs experienced a cultural revival period, and that followed the Tiananmen Square pre-democracy movement. And the guy who's leading the movement happened to be one of the Uyghurs. So there was a, a public support. The hmm. university students pour into the streets of, of Rumji. You didn't uh, really experience then a whole lot of racism then from your Han compatriots? Not during that period. Um, so, so if somebody asks, is there any period that the Chinese government can go back to, that they should look at that period and study? There was no single violence incident. Um, 
people relatively happy and enjoying their daily life. So we uh, we we I, as a first year college student, I learned about um, the movement in Beijing. I went to the uh, People's Square in Urumqi, joined the protest. Yes, fifty days of the Beijing student demonstration are <laughs> the fifty days that in my well twenty one year of、uh, life at that time that I did not. Feel discrimination. <laughs> I was born and raised in Beijing, and the discrimination is almost—you know—I was like almost immune to that. But of course,、uh, growing up, and then I realized what I was immune, and then probably neglected was discrimination. I mean, that will make you feel uncomfortable. Like,、uh, and then Chinese, I think in general, also including today's like vibrant democracy, democratic Taiwan, they have this problem of understanding what is discrimination. Right. And then they think well, they don't have bad intention, but they just classify you as a different category. Right. That to most Chinese people is not discrimination. But then,、uh, if you look into the、uh, textbook and then you realize what is the discrimination, is you think other there's another group of people that's different politically. Then that is discrimination. But discrimination against Uyghurs in 1980s Be-、oh, Beijing that I remember was. Was vicious. Yes, I mean, there was it was it was a a real sense that I mean, I they treated them very much like the Europeans often treat the Roma. They were considered <laughs> sort of this sort of genetically criminal class. You were not you. you know, they, they were the people who would 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 you know carry knives. Yeah, they would, you, you, you need to know. Okay,、crap. Uyghur people are the descendant of conquer and warriors. Sure. At the same time, we are descendant of merchants along the Silk Road. There, these two things that you describe, like, uh, uh, yeah, we were people carry knives, and we and we also we, saw you this. We you know, we kind of result to to to、uh, <laughs> yes, okay. To when when we feel like uh, okay discriminated, we don't just、uh, you know just just take it in. Sometimes we、right. we tend to、right. yes, and then also we were a group of first group of people when Deng Xiaoping started this open and reform policy and said let the little group first a small group of people get rich. And then Uyghur people say, "Oh, is、That's、that right? <laughs> We can do that." So、uh, the, the group of pe-、uh, Uyghur people, the <laughs> these <laughs> this descendant of merchant who have never left the, this this area of Xinjiang for one thousand years, when Deng Xiaoping says, "Now you can do business," they found themselves in Guangdong,、mm. in 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 in, in, in Guangzhou. Yes, they are like、uh, bring they they become the first group of、uh, people who import、uh, importers or.、Right. Well, sometimes those imports are perhaps not one hundred percent, you know,、uh, law-abiding. But then, you know, that was the time. That was the time. Like, and then you can see Uyghur merchant everywhere. They're they're selling merchants uh, uh, from. Uh, you don't know how to get into the、uh, Chinese market, and then also, of course, you see the uh, uh, kebab sellers. Uh, that's an, a different level of a merchant, but they spread to all all different countries, well, all different in all different、uh, cities, and. There's another one. It's a、uh, you know foreignsy exchange. Right. We run the underground market、uh, of financial market for for a good period of time. Yeah. I guess that has get into some people's nerve and say all of a sudden, you know the Uyghur people. You are kind of cool. You dance. You sing. You 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 have you make good shish kebab. Why don't you just stay in your remote corner? And why do you like all over the sudden spread all over to all, all the cities and then. The, the, that kind of triggered the discrimination sen,、uh, mentality or, or, or sensation. Let me put it that way. Then、uh, of the one billion Chinese people, 
I think that I think uh, people who are listening to this would would have a better uh, re, you know uh, uh, reference if you have haven't seen a group of people and all of a sudden they are everywhere everywhere and then you just don't get used to it. The uh, discrimination emerge immediately. Right. So, did you grow up in like in in Ganjiakou or or in no 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 Hepingli? Oh, in Hepingli. Yeah, oh, wow. I was born and raised in Beijing in Hepingli area. Hepingli is a uh, yeah. I know Hepingli well. I mean, that's where all like the Gu Tuans were and all. That. Yes, and then also the so-called Central uh, Minority Publishing House. Ah, I see. Is that was your your parents worked for exactly. the Central Minority yes, Publishing House? Yes. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. 民族出版社, 出版社, 民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版社。民族出版
uh, we are doing, we are pushing China toward democracy in the love of our country. And then uh, uh, the the word love of country so coincident with uh, patriotism, we just picked it up, we I just see. used it. But for not for a long time though. Pretty soon we decided. To start talking naturally, about democracy, yeah. naturally merge into call, calling ourselves a democracy uh, movement, and uh, and uh, people who supported us also demanded us to uh, add uh, the slogan of anti-corruption. So yeah, that's interesting. So that did not come indigenously from the students themselves. No, no. no. So who were these people then who were supporting no, no, you? You're talking the, about you know, leading intellectuals. Uh, the intellectuals came into the scene a little later. It was just students at the beginning. We were looking for gui- uh, guidance. We were looking for our teachers to come in, but uh, not until I think uh, quite a you know a week later, maybe ten days later. Liu Xiaobo flew back from uh, United States to Beijing to join this movement. He found me uh, the night he arrived in Beijing. And we were looking for, and then of course Liu Xiaobo carries a very special uh, meaning to all the students at that time. Right. He was also one of the, the the spiritual mentor for the whole 80s generation. So yes, we welcomed him. But in the very beginning, until until Liu Xiaobo showed up, until later on. The movement was very much a, a student-led indigenous so movement. So then who was it pushing this idea of including corruption in your agenda? No, no. We took a, quite a few uh, march already. Right. So on the street, people would just, you know, people, I see. Express, they would say. people would express their support. But they also would ask, you know, you guys should, you guys should uh, include this anti-corruption. You guys should include this anti-fan guandao. Uh, official how to translate that? <laughs> yeah, Gwendo, I don't know how to. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, on the probably it was the 18th or the 19th of April, uh, the the first major march from the campuses down to the square went right by where I lived at the time, which was in Xisi. I went out to the the Hutong Kao to the, mm-hmm. the mouth of the Hutong, which is on Xisi Nandaji or Xisi Beidaji, mm-hmm. as they're coming down towards Sidan, and they were going to cut over on, on Changaji. And they marched right past me, and there were several schools represented, and I, I watched this happen. And they all carried a, a, a twine, that kind of pink-colored plastic twine you use to wrap packages in the, the old, you know, stores that you'd buy things in in China. And uh, so it was circling the, the parade route. They, people on the edges of the parade would carry this. We were holding stuff, and they were excluding deliberately people. I said, could I join the march? No, they said, no. I said, well, I I'm, I just recently graduated from university. No, they said, no. This is only students, only from these schools. Yeah. When, when did you decide to open it up to include other segments of society? Uh, not too long, because well, uh, the biggest, uh, the first uh, intercity uh, demonstration was uh, took place on the night of uh, April 21st. And before that, there were demonstrations, but from like uh, different universities mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. was uh, segmented. But April 21st is, is a very important day of the student movement. And that day, we got organized. We got like the whole school, inter-school, Beijing Coalition for the uh, Students' Union was formed. Right. I was one. I was the founder of this. This thing. I led it that the uh, the first uh, intercity major demonstration. At that time, we were still uh, uh, 
pretty much uh, insisting that this should remain as a pure student movement. The reason for that is like we were uh, so nervous. We were so worried that the Chinese government is going to slander uh, as they usually always do when there is a student movement, when there is a a very pure uh, motivated movement. They will always say there is a small group of criminal who actually behind the scene, right. who get involved into the uh, uh, crowd and then lead the crowd into vandalism or this and that. That's that's uh, the Chinese government's like typical uh, propaganda line. So we were trying to avoid that. We we were naive, of course. We were saying we thought if we hold a string to to exclude other people who wants to join us, we can prevent Chinese government from doing just that. <laughs> they will do that anyway, you know. But then, uh, right after you were you were also mentioning uh, April twenty sixth editorial right. by People's Daily, we they, uh, I think what happened is I'm convinced of that that the April 21st major demonstration uh, went in the evening. Uh, we went to Tiananmen Square. We occupied Tiananmen Square. We have uh, successfully demonstrated this um, enormous power and then our ability to get organized. And that... Spooked them. Exactly. That's Very the much. right word. Yeah. And then Deng Xiaoping was so spooked he says, uh, I don't mind killing them. I don't mind killing the students. I, I learned much later on that mm-hmm. he said it in such early stage. Uh, but uh, it's so totally convincing because if you read the April 26th editorial and you find with between the lines, the tone of the, the editorial is very much killing sensation. So, so yes. Uh, yeah, but then we decided, there, yeah, right? yeah, we decided to, uh, we decided to, um, uh, responded with a bigger, stronger uh, rebuke. So we had this twenty-seven April twenty-seventh major demonstration, one of the best, most powerful, most well organized, most attended uh, a demonstration of the nineteen eighty-nine student movement. This this is exactly what my timeline has has always been. That there was the the twenty-first. Uh, organized march really spooked them. I was there for yeah, that. Yeah. Then on twenty uh, seventh, you know, but Zhao Ziyang left China. He went to North Korea on the twenty yeah. fourth or the twenty fifth. Something like he that. He was gone during that. Those it must it's have kind been of crucial meetings. Thing, yeah. Terrible timing. Terrible timing yeah. for him. The Communist 20th. Party are incapable of changing, making a last minute change. That's, right. That's, they're not flexible in that they're way. No, right. They're not. They're right. not. So the t- April twenty seventh demonstration, we uh, took the Beijing Ring Road. Uh, uh, the movement. The, the dem- I was the general commander of that uh, of that demonstration. I remember students come from uh, far, like say Tsinghua University or Beijing mm-hmm. University. They they are in the outskirts, much further away from the center. Right. Where my university, uh, Beijing Normal University, is pretty much in the center of the city, right up between uh, second ring and third ring. Right. right. So uh, university students from uh, from the uh, uh, you know, university uh, district will come into my school first, and then we march out from there. The uh, students from Beijing Daxue, from Beida, from Tsinghua, they have to get up like six o'clock or seven o'clock. They start to march out of their school. We, in the leisure, that we march out on the nine and <laughs> uh, nine o'clock, and then we came back with a uh, circle the ring road. 
Right, the second ring at the, the time. Second ring, yes. So it was like you know, uh, Shijerman, yes, Fuchongman, yes. and we and circled that. We came Man, home. Yeah. Uh, I remember it was around 10 p.m. to Beijing Normal University, and then the Beijing University students have to take another two three hours back to theirs. What I was trying to say is that when we took the ring road, I mean, hundred thousand students took the ring road. Uh, the it's a long, long line of students. Uh, what's more exciting is the people standing by on the two side of the right. ring road. That's Beijingers. Their support is the one who gave us all the confidence. It has to be half a million people uh, there yeah, that yeah, day. Yeah, was. I was. I watched that. That yeah. was. I was on the west side. From that uh, day on, we would never exclude anyone who wants to join us. So it really was the twenty seventh March. That, that I would. Was the, the I would. In my recollection, yes. That's 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 fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Let me let me ask you this question: Do you um, when the Uyghurs took to the streets to uh, support the students? Uh, they did you mean it back in from back Urumqi. 1989. Yes, in, in Yeah, I was. I I I, took, I had the um, privilege to be part of that. So the thinking is that when if this is successful, we have a be- we will have a better life. Yes. So with that mindset, did you guys ever talk about the future political system for China uh, in with respect to how non-Han Chinese minority people would be treated or fit in the system? We did talk about it, discuss among the students, but then the real immediate aim for the students, the slogan we put forward is dialogue. So, you know, if the dialogue occurs, subjects of the dialogue would definitely include like uh, uh, ethnic issues. Uh, um, but then let, uh, the 1989 student movement is to, is to first bring the government, not bring them down, but bring them lower to the level they have to seat equal with us. And then dialogue also means we want to have something to say. We want our voice to be heard. We want to take part in. So uh, uh, if that happens, and then uh, and then uh, the more specific aim of the 1989 student movement is to preserve the uh, autonomous students, uh, 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 the federation of autonomous student unions, as a legal entity, hmm. to make that the the uh, the official representative of the student interest, right? In- not the special students, but more of a political independent force. We want the student, uh, the federation. To become uh, China's solidarity, so that's the idea. We want that to to act before a a real opposition or political party to emerge. We want this uh, federation to act just uh, at that role. I see. So to assume uh, the same role that 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 dock workers in exactly, in Gdansk exactly. Had, had, had. But then solidarity re- really later on become a political party. Right. At the beginning, it was just a worker union. So we thought, okay, a students' union can also play a similar role. And then one day, there will be political parties, uh, uh, but we want to be the one to make that happen. Uh, I mean, I think there were some precursors for this already. You could sort of see on April 12th, there was that that petition that Wang Dan actually signed saying, we want uh, a special democratic zone in Haidianchu. Yeah. Uh, Well, so the 1989 student movement is definitely a democracy movement. We have (coughs) this political... Uh, uh, a goal, very clear goal in our mind. We mm-hmm. want to 
And then the, the, the slogan we put forward, including, you know, uh, freedom of expression, uh, uh, freedom of press, and freedom of assembly. These are very political goals. But we were also thinking on the strategy level that, okay, let's just demand for dialogue. And then, because if that dialogue ever occurs, this is going to set a new page right. for Chinese life that people will start to have a say. And then with that di dialogue happening, it will uh, consequently uh, uh, preserve the Federation of uh, Beijing Autonomous Student Union as a legal entity to, to survive. I see. And then it will, uh, it will, uh, it will basically give birth to Chinese multi-party system. I'm curious whether you were conscious at all of the potency of the sort of symbolic weaponry that you guys had at your disposal. I mean, there is a a long history, a very proud history of student participation in intellectual political life uh, that, that goes back to the Wuzi Yundong and even before. It goes back to 1898. It goes back to 1895, really. Uh, and there, there, there's sort of a way to do it. There's a theater uh, that you were performing <laughs> that you did very well, I, I would say, that, that the students knew that that would tug at the heartstrings of ordinary Beijingers who knew their history. You had also available to you things like the whole, a whole a bunch of nice round anniversary dates that you could play on you had were you aware of the potency of this we we are aware uh, but you know it wasn't planned we didn't plan Hoyobang's uh, death of course no no of course not right but the, you were already preparing for a big may 4th demonstration not before Hoyobang's death i i heard i've i've read many places that there Probably, was there were plans in place. but then the, those plans were like uh, in a very very seeding er, 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 period but uh, 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 phases and uh, uh, we, but of course, when the movement started, uh, we we did manage to organize a few very successful demonstrations already, especially after April 27th, major success. We were looking one week away from the 70th anniversary of May, May 4th, 4th movement. Right. And then we, not just the the Chinese government take a, uh, you know, propaganda to to really legitimized the 1919's uh, May 4th movement as one of the uh, pioneer movement for Chinese modernization. You were going to contest the, that. We, the students, right. uh, we, the students, especially, again, taking the same steps on the same street in Beijing. And then also, uh, uh, May 4th movement, uh, in, in May 4th movement, Beijing Normal University, Beijing University, were all major players. Right. So, we have this strong sensation of we are the true legacy of May 4th movement. Right. At that time, we all felt very strongly. We, we still felt With like, good reason. With oh, very good I guess, reason. I guess. Yeah. I, guess. No, then, I mean, of course. You, and then uh, for, to have a major demonstration to commemorate, to celebrate May 4th spirit seems to be, you know, natural. Natural. It wasn't even a, a debate, but it's That's of right. course going to happen. Right. So uh, whatever happened before May 4th, uh, on that day, we will take the street. And we did. And then in uh, other, a little different from the uh, April 27th march, we decided to go to Tiananmen. The April 27th, we avoided Tiananmen. We took the ring road. Uh, but uh, uh, in, on the May 4th, 
uh, we made a left turn in the Shidan, where where then you know that that uh, lead to the Eternal Peace Avenue, Chang'anjie. Uh, later on, became a killing field. But that um, but that demonstration, we had a million people in the square. I don't know how many people, but what my uh, count is at least half a million because. Yeah. I mean, it was full. The square was full. Then it has to be one million. Yeah, that, I was there on the, the May fourth. I and walked then I around gave a it. speech. It was, yeah, I saw you give a speech. I gave a speech to a million people. Then I guess. Let me let me ask you something about because sitting here and talking to you, it's pretty obvious to me uh, where sort of the sources of your charisma are. You have you have. I mean, how young I were you? Don't when, know when, that. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you were young, did you know that you were destined for to, to, to do this? Were you a revolutionary at heart? Were you somebody who had uh, leadership aspirations? Were you somebody who was an organizer among the kids in your neighborhood, uh, in your own family? What were you like when you were when you were young? You know, Kaiser. Yes, uh, but before the anniversary, somebody else also asked me similar questions, and then I, to be very honest with you, I I got a little, like. Puzzled with this question because then I realized all these questions are in a relative term. You know, are you are you uh, a, are you a revolutionary in compare with other people? There's there's this yeah, relativity there's, there's there. There's a type though. There's a type, and you know you know that you are. Then I, mean, I, I know that I I'm myself not. wouldn't know right. what my type was at that time. I was just I did the thing that I feel natural to. Okay. This is this is one of the questions that I always get. He was. 20, 20, 21 year old young student and he is a minority living in Beijing growing up and then uh, the, whenever I mentioned that I have a close friendship with Workeshi, Workesh like do you know how did he what was the process like him becoming a leader of this movement like especially the young kids today uh, grow up in the western societies wanted to be like him and find out was he prepared for this? Is that because of the family uh, background? Is that because of the education? Because of his, his, because his, of his street creed? Outsider, but maybe Besides, you know. because of all How, of the above. What was the process like that you? No, my my parents. No, the way my parents. I'm sure the way my parents brought me up has something to do with. It has to be. Right. It's not like okay, we're not going to prepare you as a revolutionary when of you're 21. Not. It's not like that. It's like you have to stand up when someone else is getting bullied. You have to take it as yourself being bullied. You have to stand up for other people. Things like this, you don't find in Chinese, Han Chinese education. In, in a matter of fact, I realize... I, I'm <laughs> not maybe that, but you find it in the in the novels. You know, the heroes are always Jian Yongwei. The, the, yeah. You know, you read Shui Hu Chuan or you read, you know, Sangwa Yan Yi. There are heroes like that. Yeah, so but then, but who, your parents don't teach you to follow those <laughs> night stories. The night stories is for uh, is for uh, teenager rebellious time period, basically. Both <laughs> school and and home education in Chinese society. Do not teach you things like that. Then you know. But my parents and we in our in our culture, it's natural. So what happened? I think I think in the April seventeenth, uh, when the when the night nobody else took the stage uh, uh, in in the campus of Beijing University. Somebody put a poster in uh, Beijing Normal University and said, "Let's have a gathering tonight, nine o'clock." And I showed up at around ten thirty, but. You know, people were there waiting for someone to 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 uh, step up, but nobody did. It just 
and everybody in the crowd was cursing, basically. You know, you can't imagine for 21-year-old college students what they can curse, you know. Oh, well, yeah. What kind of like, <laughs> yes, we can imagine. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> but then I'm in the crowd. I was, you know, I want to curse too. I want to say you, blah, 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 blah. But then, and then I realized that if I do that, I'm cursing myself. And in, my, in our culture, the way I was brought up, including the you know what i'm saying my culture my parents educate and everything else that has accumulated oh it's way till that day that i i just feel in that moment uh that uh, I this need is to, my moment i need i need to do that i have to do that it's not like oh i have been waiting no it's like it's the it's an instinctual thing you just have to do it you can remember that moment yeah yeah yeah, I and because imagine. that moment, I, I, I reflect life. back in that moment changed my life. Yeah, <laughs> from wow. that moment on, I just, you know, I, I remember in the crowd because there's no no light. There's, I mean, there's street light, but there's there's no like a light for the for the gathering. There's no loudspeakers. And then just a, a, about a thousand students in Beijing Normal University gather around this uh, monument. Uh, uh, also a monument to commemorate a, a student movement uh, 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 decades ago. And then they're shouting. And again, they're cursing. And and I remember I just couldn't uh, stand it. And somebody needs to, somebody needs to be there. Okay, it may as well just be me. So, and then I, uh, I, I remember I yelled, 让开, mm-hmm. yield. Yeah, 让开 means get out of the way, right? Oh, yield, yeah, or just let me give buy. me way, yeah. yeah. Make way. <laughs> Immediately, a pass was in uh, was in, was formed was emerged between me and that's the stage. It wasn't really a stage; it's the base of the monument. When I say "rangkai," uh, people but, like get apart and like like uh, you know. Okay. <laughs> now I look at you and, and I can I imagine that. I mean, now you can read Zhang Fei. I mean, you're you're like you're, you're like <laughs> you you're, you've got like what, what did Jason call it? dad strength? Right? Would got, you like, do it again? In light of all the sacrifice you made, you have not seen your parents 30 years. I heard that the last time that you saw your mother was uh, during Tiananmen Square pro-democracy movement in Beijing. Okay, would I do it again? I, if you ask me, do I, feel, do I regret what I did? The answer is no. I mean, I don't regret. That I can answer without any hesitation. But would I do it again? I have to say I don't know. I would you I, do it differently? Uh, I'm sure if there's a you know, like you now okay. you know a lot without of things. knowing the the end, there is no time machine, right? Of course no, no, not. We're right. talking about so if you put yourself, if you know, you cannot avoid it, but you you are going sending back to fine tune here and there, maybe. But I would say 1989 student movement was a pretty damn good well-organized student movement yeah. and then all the uh, all the decisions we made was uh, v- uh, were very cautious and very well deliberated and then well i mean you, you you've come in for a lot of criticism even from fairly moderate people for uh the way you conducted the 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 dialogue that you finally ended up getting with premier Li Peng. is there anything you would change about that no uh first of all uh the meat uh my role at that time dictate me to do to say those things. To be would, the, 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 the bad cop or to be the heavy or to uh, to be the, the, I was, the first the of all, we were quite polite. We were firm on mm-hmm. our ground, but we were quite polite. 
So uh, we weren't like trying to uh, uh, provoke or anything, but then we were the representative of hunger strikers in the room. Finally, because of this hunger strike, because thousands of students hunger, uh, had hunger strike, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, yes, more than hundreds, if not millions of people uh, uh, who supported this student movement, we wouldn't have that meeting. So my role being in that room is not just being me. I was the student. I was the representative of people's will at that time. I have no choice but to stand firm for people. But you know the things that you did, like scolding them for being late, or uh, that's because Li Pong came in and first sentence he started and says, "I'm sorry, I'm late for twenty minutes right. because you have made Beijing." A, a, such a chaos, it become a, an anarchy, and you know he was a. It wasn't a sure, dialogue. A we were waiting for a dialogue, but it was a condescending lecturing, and then that we, thousands of students, hunger strikers, and the uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of people uh, who who took the street at that time cannot tolerate, and then I am just expressing that voice. So you were actually in hospital the night of June third. So you you missed out on on a thing. But would you if would do you think that you lost control that that the autonomous union lost control of the movement in any way? Do you feel like that you know if you had? I, I know that I've heard this from a lot of people who who took part in it. Who said, for example, the Beijing students. If the Beijing students had been there to call the shots, if they had if everyone had left as they did on the night of the third. They could have gone home and pocketed a lot of gains. They, 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 they would have thought that there would still be a possibility that Zhao wouldn't have lost his position as Secretary General. And that, well, all these arguments are based on one fact: that they know what happened later. Right, and you didn't know. You couldn't. Yeah, the decision、her. we made at that time, the debate we had: stay or leave. There are different factors that are contributing to different decisions, but the, none of those decisions were being informed that there are going to be a massacre a couple of days later.、Right. So uh, the uh, the criticism I understand, and when people lost, when people see massacres in in their TV sets in their living rooms, the the ache in their heart must be. Unbearable. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I was, I was on the, I was in Beijing, so I wouldn't. But after my exile in the first few years, when people talk to me about that time, I can still feel their ache in their heart. So they that that ache, they need some kind of let out,、mm-hmm. and then they were hoping the biggest let out would be the best let out would be. You know uh, uh, the collapse of the Chinese Communist regime. That would be the best, and then they were hoping.、Uh, so they were looking for all kind of excuses. Why didn't you leave earlier? Why couldn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And it's it's a it's it's understandable sensation when you when the whole world were in some kind of shock,、uh, traumatic experience when the government when a one of one government start to kill. Their young, peaceful protesters—they basically、uh, gave a whole world a traumatic experience. 
Let's talk about now your years in exile. Uh, so you, you managed to leave China after 1989. You were put on this most wanted list by, I think, June 7th or so. And uh, I don't know how much you want to go into the details of how you managed to leave, but you, you found your way to Paris. Well, first of all, not CIA. <laughs> okay. Some people say okay. that. And then also, uh, some, uh, uh, I managed to get to Hong Kong. At that time, Hong Kong was one, one city that gave us the most support. I would even say 1989 student movement took place in Beijing as the main stage. But Hong Kong is definitely a, one of the most important stages too. There were student demonstrations in Shanghai and other cities, but Hong Kong is Hong Kong is very much in it. Mm-hmm. They, they just don't live under communist regime, uh, Chinese ruling at that time. Uh, the, uh, stu- uh, the alliance was formed, Alliance to Support Beijing Patriotic Student Movement, blah, blah, very long name. But when I finally managed to leave Beijing, get to the border city, I managed to contact them, then they send in people to uh, got me out. So you're uh, easily one of the most recognizable of the, of the protesters, of the student leaders. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. So whenever I go, uh, it wasn't easy, but amazingly, yes, wherever I go, I got recognized. So right. make it kind of more difficult. The uh, live broadcast of my meeting with Li Peng made that happen. Right. And then the the more uh, down south I go to my, uh, where when I reach uh, you know Hong Kong, uh, information uh, disseminated in from Hong Kong to the southern cities also have a lot of my picture on it. Right. So um, uh, so I got the I got recognized all the time. But then whenever I got recognized, those who did recognize me always give me always provided uh, shelter or provided uh, help. Mm. And uh, so, uh, with the help of Hong Kong people and Chinese people, I managed to escape. Another thing is like, <laughs> the British have left some good things for Hong Kong, but they also left one pretty bad uh, uh, tabloid culture. So one of the uh, one of the tabloids in a, in a, in, a, in Hong Kong. Uh, said like uh, I managed to get to the south of China because my father was a general who can mobilize a air force and uh, uh, airplane air force plane and the, who that that I ride all the way from Lanzhou <laughs> to south. I mean, you can which Im- part of that isn't true? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, for well, the there. Okay, which part of that isn't true? Okay, let's focus on one thing. Imagine an Uyghur become a, uh, become a general, a right. general who can mobilize an airplane. Right, that course. part is like one of the most stretched uh, imagination that I have to applause to that person, whoever that is, wrote that wrote up this report in, <laughs> in 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 the office of this tabloid magazine. Yeah, that's hysterical. Oh my god. Um. Years in exile. So you you were in Paris for a couple of years. You made your way to California. Um, you were there. I know that Nuri, you you actually have talked about how uh, how Orkish helped you in your early career. Yeah, Not we really we, we, we had <laughs> mutual friends uh, back home, and that's how we got to know each other. So I uh, moved to California from where I was studying up in Northwest, and we were roommates for a period of time. And uh, that was most that was as I recall is the most difficult time that I had in my early uh, period in the United States. So uh, 
my good friend helped me to find job, even uh, asked one of his friends to loan me a car so I can work and make some money and get my own car. So we, um, as a friend, um, he provided me much needed um, support uh, in yeah, addition to a true friendship. Yeah. <laughs> well, he nice. was okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice to talk about, you know. The diaspora community comes in for a lot of criticism, and, you know, it's, it's not surprising that... Uh, there's a lot yes, of for our society diaspora, especially Uyghur. the dissidents and oh, not, dissidents. dissidents. Society, I mean, yeah. not 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 the diaspora Uyghur okay. community, but uh, the Chinese dissidents. The, after after Liu Si, uh, there was, I mean, immediately they started falling to to fighting uh, almost right away. Uh, there were gigantic divisions and cleavages, and I, I saw this happening with sort of a you know a, in horror. Mm. Even just on the, I was on the campus of the University of Arizona, uh, and finally Drew was there actually, you know, in the building right yeah. next to me, and we we used to see each other all the time. And we talked, and um, it was quite clear there were factions of students that were very opposed to him. There were factions of, it was just crazy. Uh, I guess, uh, but then it's. You know, we are a group of dissidents who are forced into exile and then carry the responsibility of the whole world in overthrowing the one of the most powerful totalitarian regime. That's the the pretext of all the criticism and what ha- what went on uh, among the dissident societies. Uh, we carried well. The whole world were in shock, and we we were been we have been given a responsibility there's no way we can carry we could not uh you know we challenged and then we lost that challenge in beijing how could we possibly organize to overthrow that government who already opened their uh, its fire to us uh, from paris that's a uh, that's that's understandable but what about uh, what caused the disunity though that's what I'm saying. You know, there well, is no battlefield. If there is no battlefield... They'll automatically turn on one another? No, there's actually... We don't know which direction to turn on to begin with. I see. That's fair enough. Yeah. So these days, how much of your attention are you focusing on the crisis in Xinjiang? Uh, I mean, uh, these days... These days... Well, uh, well, I think I'm paying more and more... Attention to spending of attention is always there. That's not the right word. Spending more and more of my energy and time on the issue uh, from the uh, July uh, fifth incident in two thousand nine. Yes, Uh, it's today. I was in this Uyghur conference, and then my friends introduced me. This is Urkesh. He's better. No, his his name Urkesh is known to all Uyghurs, and his Chinese name Urkesh is known to all Chinese. It's a good introduction. But then I also use that uh, in the past and say, you know, I'm probably uh, to to discuss my role uh, with my Uyghur friends. I say, you know, I can probably do more for Uyghur as Urkesh than as Urkesh. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in the Uyghur movement. Um, uh, there are, you know, a lot of distinguished fellows. Uh, they are they are making their efforts, and then they have always been a Uyghurs uh, movement, and they should, you know, carry the flag. Nuri here is one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, you know pioneer, one of the champion. Yes. And then I, on the other hand, have always been a Chinese democracy activist. Uh, I started from Tiananmen Square, and then all these years in exile, being, and then I 
I believe that Chinese democracy is the ultimate answer for Uyghur people in future. But of course, the, the history can evolve in different direction. But I believe democracy should be the answer for Uyghur people. And then it's good for, in the Chinese democracy movement to have a Uyghur in there. Yes, and but you, you, then, you could. But, but then, in the, the last ten yeah. years since two thousand nine, um, just I have this personal, ur- you know, feeling urge to 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 get more directly involved. So, I, well, my direct involvement is more just like writing articles and talking about discuss when when the when I'm with Chinese dissidents a group when when I'm with the uh, you know uh, overseas democracy movement. I often insist on discussing about uh, Uyghurs, Tibet, you know, ethnic issues, and then I often lead that discussion. So, uh, in that sense, I'm I'm still in Chinese democracy movement, and then having my fight for Uyghur. And how is that going? How how is the response among Chinese democracy, Han Chinese democracy activists? Are they making common cause? Do they sympathize deeply Most with the plight? Okay, okay. Let's say uh, first of all, Chinese democracy movement, overseas Chinese democracy movement, is not a huge body of uh, of uh, people. Let's say there are five hundred. Let's five hundred people. Sure. Uh, 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 I mean, it's not really. I'm, I'm. Let's just for the conversation's sake. If there are five hundred people overseas Chinese democracy movement, I think a good half of them will be one hundred percent supporting of the Uyghur cause and then totally understanding for Uyghurs and Tibetans mm-hmm. uh, a demand for independence. That word is the most uh, you know sure. center of right. the of this debate, right? So let's not uh, go around that. Uh, uh, and then I discussed this topic with my Uyghur friend and my Chinese friend. When I discussed this topic with my Uyghur friend, I, I start to say I'm not a nationalist. I am not a separatist. I'm a democracy activist. I'm a libertarian. Because of that, today I would 100% support any effort to fight for democracy and independence. Uh, because... Independence will guarantee if we can manage to get independence today from communist China is definitely beneficial for Uyghur people's liberty. I'm a, I'm a libertarian, so that that dictate my decision, my choices. But when I talk to uh, uh, so so uh, so I will say that, but then I also say I'm not a, a separatist. I discussed this with my Uyghur friend. I'm I not said, sure what the distinction is. If okay, you support if you independence, sep- but you're not a separatist. I you- welcome independence because I am a libertarian. I see. So the ultimate that goal so far, of but- me, of, of, of my effort is freedom. Liberty, right. It's freedom. But uh, uh, if, you are, if you claim yourself a separatist, that means you will fight for Independence at all costs and at in all conditions. So that means that even if you were a separatist, you, you would you, support, for example, if, a radical yeah. Islamic sect that would lead that a, or a, another dictator, military dictator who right. can those that kind of independence. I'm not in. I see. Yeah. So, but when I talk to my chi- fellow Chinese dissidents, my tone is like, okay, you guys totally need to know, Uyghur people have the right 
to fight for their independence. If we call ourselves democracy activists, we should 100% unconditionally welcome the major principle of democracy, which is self-determination. So, uh, so I, I, I think I am in a good position to talk to both Uyghur, my fellow Uyghurs, and my fellow Chinese democracy activist groups. One common question that uh, people always ask, um, uh, why the governments are not taking action, and and one of the main reasons, one of people, the, which government, well, the, the uh, like Muslim co- governments, Muslim are. governments, Western governments, uh, other than the United States, uh, the the one possible answer is that the Uyghurs are not well known, and then the follow up question is like, okay, no, if we, we are had, well known. if we had a figures like Urkesh Devlet leading the movement in the last 20-some years, we would have been in a different place. We would, have, we would have been able to build grassroots movements. People liked, I mean, people have been saying this. What is your thoughts on that? Do you think that, that is just you would have old, been much more effective? That if is you just on all, all that not true. My role in the Uyghur movement will not be much different from our beloved Erkin Esa Pandey. You know, he couldn't. The I'm sorry. Uyghur, uh, there is a, an, a, a we, the Uyghur movement has always had leaders. Mm-hmm. We we had you know the leaders beloved by Uyghur people, and then uh, we 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 would have follow follow his uh, uh, her uh, you know uh, leadership, but to have the the very fact Uyghur movement is not. But they're not a celebrity as you are though. That's a different story. Oh, Rabia Kadir was a celebrity. Exactly. Uh, Rabia is a celebrity. And this pro- was like the, the, the point is no, that. Th- no, I'm saying that started is in the 90s I, I and 2000. I understand the argument. Yeah, before Rabia Kadir but was But I disagree with it. Yeah. The, the, re- the real reason Uyghur, people, Uyghur movement has not been in the map, there are many, many factors to contribute to that. Number one, unfortunately, Uyghur people are. In Islamic faith, let's 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 uh, look at this uh, with with all honesty. Sure. Today's world, Islamophobia. Uh, today's world are not that honest. Today's world is not that uh, not not that courageous. Uh, we don't live in a perfect world, and then the Western world just you know uh, so they you find you find uh, much more convenient to neglect Uyghurs Uyghurs movement. They have. For a long time, when Chinese regime uh, calling their uh, w- uh, their policy in Xinjiang uh, part of the anti-terrorism, uh, the, the suppression of the Chinese government to Uyghur people have been going on for how long? We'll see. Easily decades, right? Only in the last two years, when it come to this level, that the world can no longer, that's the key word, no longer turn their blind eyes. Well, they're still trying. So they but, acquiesced in this idea. But that, what that I'm saying is, the, the world tried anti-ism. really hard to turn a blind eye in in a long time. Even if there were a celebrity leader, and how about Tibetan? They have a very well-known celebrity leader, right? And you think, look at that. Where where did the Tibetan movement go? They, you know, it's famous. It's a famous movement. But Tibetan people today under the same kind of suppression that we do. Yeah. They Did didn't you, manage to Tibetans didn't manage to gain any inch of independence. Did you expect at all that it will get this bad in China for the Uyghur people? 
Did you ever th thought that we will see this modern modern day concentration camp situation? I have to admit, our naivete 30 years ago as a student in Beijing perhaps stayed in us until very recent days. No, after we'd... what about after July 5th? Did you start to think, you know, this is going to get much worse now? Yes, yes, yes. Um, it was still a Communist Party, Chinese regime uh, can seems to manage to be always be able to surprise us. No matter how much we think they are capable of doing, they can always surprise us with more. This is the government. Uh, this is the uh, is the regime the world is facing. So uh, let me also take this opportunity to, to to extend it to the next sentence. If the world sank. You know, this, the Chinese regime, oh, okay, they're surprised. They came capable of massacre their uh, peaceful demonstrators 30 years ago. They can suppress their dissent in China. They can do this, do that. And then they can, uh, are capable of, uh, uh, of gathering over a million people in concentration camp. And then if we say today, they can probably launch a, another campaign against the whole world. And then the world probably need to shake off that naivete we had and then start to uh, exercise <laughs> its imagination. Well, my imagination doesn't quite stretch that far at this point yet, but uh, it, it certainly has been tested recently by some of the horrors that we've, we've witnessed. Why has President Trump stayed silent so far? We've heard remarks now from Pompeo, from Mike Pence, from uh, others in the administration. I don't think he got it. Yeah. I don't. I mean, look at the the. I mean, he he got something. He's a businessman, right? He saw a, 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 an image like, okay, I I talk about this. Let me on your show a name name and talk about this again. The China policy over complimenting China policy started from Doctor Henry Kissinger. He went to Beijing in the early seventies, and he basically architected this whole China policy. And then he repeatedly insists that's because that's the, the China policy was for America's national interest. And uh, of course, I mean, good thing he clear, cleared that out. I mean, there is no moral foundation for being nice to a, a government uh, uh, that, you know, a totalitarian regime. But that national interest has long expired. The national interest is forming an alliance, a former united front together with China against, the, against Soviet the Soviet Union during the Cold War era. And then, you know, Cold War ended and the gov Chinese government became the government who suppresses, who massacres peaceful demonstrators. Did that China policy then alter? No. It continued until today. And then the, they, they, they decide to find new names. They call it engagement. Mm -hmm. I call it appeasement. And let me see this. Let me say this. Dr. Henry Kissinger himself became a, the most welcome guest by Beijing. He brokering American companies to go to China to do business with favored access. And for each company he brokerage, he gets a, a minimum of $1 million fee. Dr. Harry Kissinger, he, I mean, he lives 90-some years, almost 100 years now, I think. I, hear I, I can't attest the veracity of, of how but much he's he, paid for the deal. He for sure. is fabulously rich. What's wrong with this picture? Is there anything wrong of this picture? I mean, if I, I want to ask American people to say, you know, hey, uh, this key architect of this policy is becoming very rich. 
for from one of one of the party that he he brokerage. I think you know the businessman president, being a businessman himself, saw something wrong. But he's a businessman. That means he, if he come up with a new policy, it will also be interest centric. And then the real lesson is not that policy was wrong. We need to adopt a new one. The real lesson here should be. Interest-centric policy is wrong. It should be value-centric policy. And the United States, if today form a a value-centric、uh, uh, China policy, he, its ally will have to follow. And today, against China, if United States does not have its ally、uh, gather to support to to stand behind U.S., it won't pull out. China is way too too strong, and then it's a little too late. What is your sense after being、um, uh, after testifying in Congress early this week, and、uh, attending series of meetings with legislators and thought leaders and activists? What What do you think、um, is the a possibility? Or do you think、mm-hmm. that the U.S. government and U.S. Congress will address China democracy、uh, and internment、so. of Uyghurs differently? I hope so.、Uh, after the, all those events and public statement, you were pretty provocative during your、uh, testimony. <laughs>、yeah. You、uh, you call、uh, you called out the U.S. government、yeah. for betraying the students and democracy. Most yeah, important, and, and it was pretty pretty strong. And I didn't. I I watched the whole thing. None of the members of Congress presiding in the hearing were annoyed with your statement. I think, yeah. Thank you for saying. I mean, I think the sentiment in the Congress or in Washington D.C. is very much in unity. But for them to take a step and acknowledge to say, "Wow, we did. We made such a big mistake. We were so embarrassed. Now we have to do something drastic to change."、Um, it ta- it probably take a little more than wisdom. It will take、uh, humility. It will take like a, 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 it will take a, a much more healthier attitude, and it will take courage. Those things, I'm not sure. What kind of what kind of、uh, change do you foresee? Is that like a more of a anti-China?、Uh, no, no, not anti-China. Anti-Chinese、uh, 200 family treat the 200 families as criminal groups. And I, I, I also said in the in the hearing. Uh, the United States will be much better off cons-、uh, when forming the new China policy to consult criminologists rather than consult international relation experts. <laughs> Because if you treat Chinese regime as what they really are—a group of criminals—and then they are certainly not ideology, they are not communists, they are not nationalists. Calling them calling them fascist is even giving them too much credit. They are a group of bandit who stole okay, okay. the position of <laughs>、uh, ruling. I, I think that, that you can now today,、uh, you know, in, in light of things、yeah. like the Uyghur atrocity, you know, to, to make these sorts of sweeping moral indictments about the Chinese Communist Party is a little easier than it would have been, say, twelve years it ago. It wasn't just an indictment; it was a、uh, it was a policy suggestion. Okay,、oh, but but you know it's built on on sort of a, a, a set of fact, moral simple fact. Well,、oh, okay, <laughs> it's built on simple facts. Fact. Not my facts, but、uh, 
Anyway, I, I want to ask you a little bit about your your time in Taiwan uh, mm-hmm. because you know you've been there now for for my gosh since uh, the late twenty three years, twenty three years longer than any other country that I have lived, including my home country. My God, uh, you've gotten quite involved in politics in Taiwan. Um, my understanding is that you do you support the Pan Greens, right? No, no, no that's, that's not, not uh, that's not a correct statement. Okay, these days we'll I work. Closely with Pan Green because they are the one group don't doesn't mind talking about Beijing, talking about Communist Party. Uh, when when I first arrived in in Taiwan uh, was 1990. I, I I didn't move to Taiwan back then, but that was my first visit. It was the Green, it was the Blue Camp who with this uh, uh, you know Greater China sentiment who who welcomed me much more. Where at that time the Green camp is more like a Taiwan independence, China is China, we don't care, mm-hmm. that kind of idea. But o- over the 29 years since 1990, I think the Pan Green has come to the point that they realize they are not just Taiwan independence party, they are democracy progressive party, that's, that's the name of the right. party. So the democratic value is something that will lead this party and their supporters to a long, long run in in, in this country, but uh, where the 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 pen blue uh, very very unfortunately took a very wrong turn. Um, uh, back in the early nineties, uh, they were like a Greater China sentiment. They but they also in the anti-communist uh, right. uh, uh, stage, and they somehow they they feel like the democracy is not. Their vocabulary is not there because they were authoritarian regime, and then uh, Green Camp was the challenger, sure. and then uh, it has become the political vocabulary of the Green Camp. And, and it was visited on; it was forced on. on I, the poor I really Buddhist. hoped that Blue Camp can also embrace to say, you know what, we are democratic too, and because they really are in a, they in a democratic system it's a democratic party and then they welcome democracy too so but when do you, when you mark this 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 shift beginning when they st- stopped caring so much about uh, the greater china issues and became um sort of throwing themselves <laughs> their their fate in with the chinese communist party you think this was uh obviously not in the 96 crisis it was much later mindjo's uh tenure was it before, even before that, I think uh, Mindjo he himself is a little different from the rest of his party. Sure, he uh, believe in you know he was a sympathizer of the Chinese democracy movement. Yes, he took part in every June Fourth commemoration event until he become president. Uh, I, I I think he has a true heart for for the idea of freedom democracy, uh, for, but then. The com- the KMT at later on the majority of them felt uh, to preserve their position they have to ally with Beijing for e- economy reason I guess for whatever reason that was a very very for for lack of better word stupid <laughs> decision yeah okay. You know, you're you've made a couple of runs for the legislative UN in just your one, time. Just one, just, yeah. just one run. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, yes, yes. Do you think that your stature as a a prominent dissident has helped you in in your political life in Taiwan, or has it hurt you more? Uh, both. Well, first of all, if I wasn't a prominent Chinese dissident, no prob- one would know. Uh, they who probably you are, would. Right? Yeah, yeah, no one would know me, and they probably wouldn't come to consult me about my uh, opinions, and then that. 
eventually made me one of the opinion leaders in Taiwan, one of the one of the most celebrated, <laughs> little bragging here, celebrated political commentator. Um, uh, but I think uh, I became political commentator in Taiwan because I also address on issues in Taiwan. I was welcomed uh, as one of one of them. Uh, but today, uh, some people in Taiwan have this uh, sentiment to think uh, that Taiwan's future is also uh, rely on uh, a good cross-strait relation. So uh, uh, provoking Beijing is not in Taiwan's in best interest. So uh, from this perspective, my uh, Chinese dissident uh, status is becoming a, a little problematic <laughs> i'm gonna bring you back to the Uyghur question um please do yeah we know that something horrific is happening uh, it's not no it's not a news anymore do you have any uh, thoughts on what to be done about um the current situation the Uyghur horror I mean, something world, less, maybe uh, far away than d bring democracy to china like well, in, in washington more, and more, western more capitals maybe well, even taipei in taipei yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, being 30 years of a dissident that I, there is one lesson I can honestly report to all of uh, our listeners here is that pressure works outside pressure works. It has always worked. And but then it's becoming more and more difficult to apply that pressure because China is becoming much more stronger than, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. But still, there are pressure points. That of this regime that you, you should press right. And we have been lobbying, of course, uh, 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 to apply the Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act to Chinese officials. I met with some uh, State Department officials today, and then I said, uh, you know, I, they, they were talking about which level it should be applied to. And I said, Xi Jinping, that's what I said. And then they were like, oh, no, no, you're kidding. That's the, that's the problem of the Western you know, a diplomats. They feel like everything has to come in a diplomatic way. And from this uh, dissidents or student leaders' perspective, the things come, should come in honest way. Well, you think that applying it to Chen Quanguo would would be a good start? It's, it will be a good start, absolutely. But uh, I just want to, you know, we were talking about the the mentality of Washington D.C. It's hard for them to come around and say, "Yeah, we made a we made a, such a big mistake, and we feel so embarrassed, and we should we should make right of our of our mistakes." Um, come around, it, we have landed here. You know, come around and realize that you made a bad bad mistake, uh, 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 and uh, this mistake is coming around to get you. It, well. Uh, it's we are on the way, and then we we got sacrificed in the. We, I mean, the Chinese dissident Uyghurs, but it's not that far from the rest of the world. So uh, uh, I, that will be my. I, I feel like like I was a student leader thirty years ago, and come around the lecturing the world to be honest is something. <laughs> it's something rather strange, but very much needed. But Nuri, that's not what you think. I, I mean, we we were having a conversation over lunch today, and you, you don't think that kind of come around, make you know, just just sort of declare 
your opposition to engagement, declare, you know, China a pariah state, you don't think that that would work to help the, the Uyghur situation? You know, my approach has been more of an encouragement than um, criticizing or making a statement that's not enough, because we're still in the process of building coalition. Which is still in the process of uh, educating general public. One of your um, Twitter followers said that uh, what an ordinary American can do to help, we're in that stage. Uh, so the governments around the world tiptoeing around, concerning about economic interest, uh, you know, taking that kind of uh, um, outdated uh, approach in their dealing with Beijing or Xi Jinping. It's not the same China that we all know. The Xi Jinping's China is fundamentally different. Their thinking is different. Their approach is different. Their ambition is different. So we have to look at it differently. So instead of pressuring them, I've been trying to work with them, providing them some solutions. For example, pass the the legislation that has been considered. That would be a really good step. And also... um, if it's too much, too difficult to take on Xi Jinping or China, they should consider special immigration bills to uh, to help the Uyghur refugees, students to settle down, like the way that the Swedish government after did. after eighty nine. Yes, they did that. In yeah, the there is a States, precedent right. um, that the United States Congress had done this before, and 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 also, you know, they they have to speed up the process of going Magnitsky. We have seen it in twenty sixteen. Putin was so nervous, so upset that there's a law even in that nature exists. I think it's the same. Same is true with the uh, Chinese leadership. They well, wanted to continue. Putin and the oligarchs directly around him are more yes, personally threatened. Same thing by in China. The, well, the, the Xi Jinping wants to send uh, Xi Jinping supporters, uh, wealthy people or influential people, still wanted to send their children to Western capitals for shopping, education, and this 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 kind of uh, legal tools is extremely important. So there's there's small steps that they can take uh, in while considering or and also the olympics is also a very good uh, way to start this um i know that 2022 is a way to go i have two more years to go but the uh, international olympic committee uh, should use its influence at least pressure the chinese government to shut down these camps mm. if they still wanted to host the 2022 uh, olympics there, there's several things you know that they can do um that are going after the companies have been very effective. Uh, the Thermo Fisher, for example, was providing DNA uh, sequencers to the Chinese government under the uh, uh, leadership of Rubio and others. The company stopped selling uh, products to Xinjiang Authority. Mm-hmm. But we don't know if it's gone through other means to get there. But th- there have been some positive steps have been taken. So my approach has been a little bit... Um, I think we're the same. Yeah. I think we're the same, really. I think I don't think we're that different. When, but I just want to, when you say we are in the stage to uh, to educate Americans, uh, but I think uh, the approach should always be value centric instead of uh, instead of interest centric. Yeah. Oh, very good, uh, gentlemen. It's been a real pleasure to talk to both of you. Uh, Nuri, always great to have you back, and I look forward to hanging out with you in in, in Taipei. I Let's go there do a that. lot. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be a little fun. Thank you so much, Kaiser. This or Kaiser and Nuri Turkal. I, I must so say much. this uh, that um, the subchina.com um, Seneca podcast has been uh, extremely helpful in educating, reaching out to. Uh, uh, China-related business communities, um, expats, even Chinese people, 
At the end of the day, they need to know what's happened to us. Uh, so this has been extremely, and also they started this when, with, when the issue was not that popular. Now everybody talks about it, but sub subchina.com started. Well, there's uh, still a lot of people who yeah. who criticize me uh, and think that I I don't care somehow, and it's it's bizarre. That's, to that's me. an unfair criticism. Well, thank you for saying that. Thank you. I look thank forward you. to talking to you again soon. The Seneca Podcast is powered by SupChina and is a proud part of the Seneca Network. Our show is produced by Kaiser Guo, that's me, and Jeremy Goldhorn with editing help by Jason McRonald. Drop us an email at Seneca at SupChina.com, follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at, at SupChina News, and make sure to check out our other podcasts, the Tyson Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, China Econ Talk, our two shows focused on women, new voices, and top for top, and the Middle Earth Podcast on the culture industry in China. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you.